This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. We're hot. We're fun. We're crying. But we're trying. We've got looks. We've got books. Also, we're sad. Sad Sad girls who read. Hi, sad girls. Hello, hello. Welcome back. We're here. This week, we're covering A Little Life by Hanya Yanahagara. It is truly one of the best books I've ever read. We'll get into that. The summary, I'm going to read from the back because we've found that that sums it up the best. A Little Life follows four college classmates broke adrift and buoyed only by their friendship and ambition as they move to New York in search of fame and fortune. While their relationships, which are tinged by addiction, success, and pride, deepen over the decades, the men are held together by their devotion to the brilliant enigmatic Jude, a man scarred by an unspeakable childhood trauma. A hymn to brotherly bonds in a masterful depiction of love in the 21st century, Hanya Yanahagara's stunning novel is about the families we are born into and those that we make for ourselves. Stunning. I love I love saying stunning in an Irish accent. Which one's stunning? Stunning. But before we get into the book, I'm going to ask you, how was your week? Were you a sad girl? I got sad for a little while this morning. I did this like recreation of a Barbie series essentially where I'm like, I'm doing this for, I did it for Kylie Jenner. I'm doing it for a lot of people where I recreate a really iconic look on a thicker body like mine. Then I did Barbie and I loved it and I got such great feedback. But this morning I like opened my Instagram app and this man named Hamzu commented obese with like the cow emoji. Okay. (laughs) And it actually didn't make me sad because of my body. Like I genuinely don't care what he thinks about my body. It doesn't matter to me, but it did make me sad that we live in a world in which people think that that's okay. That you can just open up your app and write something so vicious and vile to someone and think that that's appropriate. Like how do we live in this world? There's no world in which men, cause like most of the comments, let's be honest, that both of we, and it's like, wait, hold on a second. We were talking about this the other day. We should, we're going to have like a mean tweets. We're going to read all of our mean comments and laugh about that. Because in what world is this acceptable? Like, he woke up, he's like, oh, I'm going to go bully someone today. Right. I think he probably feels bad about himself. That's usually where it stems from. And I think that men sometimes feel threatened by women who are really confident Mm. in themselves. And And I feel like he felt threatened and emasculated for his own Mm. reasons. And he fucking lashed out. But, like, get it's a grip. disgusting, and I'm not excusing it. It's absolutely abhorrent. He's also like, hiding behind his phone. Like, right, like, okay, Hamzu. Like, I'm like, I literally responded so politely, and I said, if you need me to help you find a therapist, like, I'm totally willing to do that. That's good. I feel like I've been responding positive too lately and instead of lashing back i'm like hi it sounds like you're having a difficult day like i would love to chat this through with you right and they're not they're not wanting that they're not expecting it but yeah that's why i was sad i just feel like why do we live in a world in which people can do that and it's kind of on theme for this book as well yeah how much hate that (sighs) jude got 
Jude, we must protect Jude at all costs. I know. Why were you sad this week if you were sad? It wasn't an especially sad week. I was like kind of on a little irritable kick yesterday. I'm PMSing and I wanted to punch everyone in the face. But (laughs) but besides that, I actually had like a fine week. It wasn't too bad, which is so strange because... We've had like, I mean, like overall, we've had like pretty, pretty good decent weeks. weeks. I went to a comedy show on Friday that was everyone brings their dog to a comedy show, and it's literally like twenty dogs like barking and humping while the comics humping. are up there. It was so funny. We have to go back. My dogs could never, Aaron. Oh, Bear was growling. There was a photographer, and every time the photographer snuck up, Bear would be like, Arr! "No, literally, that would be Coco would be shaking." Aww. But then also, I feel like a dog fight would ensue. Oh yeah. Well, they're o- they're on leash. They said they used to have them off leash, and they would oh, be like no. going That's wild, like a brawl. And they also sell like wine and beer. It was so cute. Wait, that is so cute. Yeah, it's like buy your old apartment. Like, oh my god, I love that. Yeah. I need to start doing things like that. Yeah, I just gotta like look up activities with dogs i literally looked that up in my google <laughs> i wish i could take my dogs more places it's not like they're gonna do anything bad i just especially because coco was abused i have to be very thoughtful of like bringing her around to their dogs there was a lot of big dogs there like really? he, there was a dog that looked like a freaking polar bear it was bigger than coco <laughs> no they the comic called him i was like oh there's a polar bear in the front row cool <laughs> like and you know it was that, like, cute. Dog mom was so proud. Yeah, she's, she's like, like that's, that's, that's my, my baby. But it's cool because like the dogs will like bark or they're they'll like whatever snort, and the comics will like do their bit to the dog. They're like, oh, I gotta give you a Xanax, Mister. Like, oh, that is so yeah. It was cute. funny. It was really cute. We also um, had to speed read this week. That oh got God. me for a quick second. Yeah. We we were going to do this 800-page book in one week. Yeah, I was doing like and 100 were, like, pages a day and like going. wrecking my brain. It's like we realize we're realizing like our limits and 800 pages in one week is too much. I read yesterday. I, I think I read from 2.30 to 4.80 yesterday. Oh, but that's not that bad. It wasn't We've terrible. done worse. Yeah, it wasn't Bear terrible. Town. But we also wouldn't have been able to cover everything. No, it's too dense of a book. Like, we wouldn't do it justice. There's like, no way. Also, we do an outline every week, and usually uh, our outlines are two or three pages. This eight is pages. Eight pages, so. We have a lot of life to discuss. We no have a lot pun of intended. So let's get into it, sad girls. So the book is sectioned off into parts, and the first part is called Lispinard Street. Have you been to Lispinard Street? No, I feel like it's in the Lower East Side Chinatown area. Yeah, right? but they said it's like a very small block. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it either. But now I want to go to Lispinard. Well, Street. we should go on a field I trip. I want to find Jude. We love a book set in New York. That was one of the reasons I think you and me, like, we both texted each other. Like, I'm so excited that we're reading this because everything was so New York. I know. Also, like being in New York in your young 20s. It's a journey. It's a journey. And these boys took us on that freaking journey. So we get a peek into the lives of these four boys and we get to know them in this first section. Just like to get them all straight. If y'all haven't read the book. It was hard getting them straight for me. Yeah. Because like four boys, like boys all blend. Who? 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 Yeah. Do you want to tell us the four boys, Allegra, or Okay, we've got Malcolm. Malcolm. Half black, half white, black father, white mother. His parents really favored his sister over him. He grew up in wealth, lives at home on the Upper East Side with his parents. Super, super, super rich. They had a house on Martha's Vineyard. Yes. Like, rich, rich. That's gotta be. Yeah. That's gotta be. So wealthy. So wealthy. And... 
In Lispinard Street, Malcolm really struggled with his race, never quite feeling like he fit in either with black folks or white folks. You see him compromising himself based on who he's around. Then we have JB, who is half Haitian. He lives with his mom, aunt, his aunt's girlfriend, and they all worship him and the ground that he walks on. Did you love that? I really love that. I mean, I think men, I've said this before, men that grew up around all women are better men. Yes. (laughs) No, like when they would just go, my beautiful boy, my smart boy, my beautiful, beautiful boy. That is what kids need. I know, but then look what happened. Yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. So he's a visual artist. He was gay. We love a gay man. He (laughs) makes art projects taking photos of his three friends, which was a really big theme in this book. He has a studio where he works side by side with other artists. Aaron loves this concept. Oh, my God. an artist studio. He has an artist studio where they literally are so broke that they tape off like sections and they all do their work, their solo work just next to each other. And just the thought of having an artist studio where you can be surrounded by that creative energy makes me tingly all over. Yeah. I want an artist studio. No, I don't know. I, want, how... I do too. I'm like, why do I need one? I don't. But like that's, but I want <laughs> But that's like why you go to the, the That's why I go to the writer. Center for Fiction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I'm sitting at a table. Mm-hmm. There's two tables with literally 15 other writers Everyone has their like manuscripts. Yeah, out it's inspiring. It's so it gets inspiring. the juices flowing. Right, you know what I'm saying? right, right, right. And then we had Willem. So Allegra and I are. We're debating how to pronounce his name. Yeah, we're at an odds. Allegra thinks it's what? I think that it's William, but his parents wanted to spell it differently. But the way that I pronounced it while reading, I thought it was Willem. Willem. That's kind of lit. I was writing the outline, like, and I'm like, wait, Aaron's spelling it Willem. Did she get it wrong? And then I looked and. <laughs> I'm wrong. <laughs> I think Willem is like a... Yep. Because you know his family's Dutch. It's a Dutch way oh. to say William. Oh, so I, was I right? It's Wait, William? hold on. Let me see. Because it says Willem Dafoe, but it's William Dafoe, isn't yes. it? Okay, so then I think it's William. Okay, we're. I guess we're going to call... I like Willem, but we'll call him William. Okay, William. So when we first meet Willem, both of his parents are no longer alive. He's an actor, so I really felt him on that one. We also learned he had three siblings who are also no longer alive, Oof. and he was his disabled brother's caretaker. Hemming, Hemming. Our sweet, sweet, and he loved sweet Hemming, Hemming so much. In Lisbonard Street, we get a peek into all of their lives. I was kind of happy when it switched to Jude. I don't I know. know if you were. Well, you didn't really get a lot in Lisbonard no, for Jude. Yeah, we didn't. I was like, what about and Jude? So we're learning about Willem, and he. I think he said he was eight and his brother was born deaf and blind. I think he said my brother couldn't see we're here. And he ended up taking care of Hemming and he really wished that his parents would have given a shit Mm. is what he says. His parents were absent, like not only physically, but emotionally. They just didn't seem to care. Like even like he would do things to provoke them so they would get angry, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't react. And I think probably a little bit of this was because they had already lost two kids. Mm. So Wilhelm was taking care of Hemming. Like he was the primary caretaker and takes a lot of joy. He finds a lot of joy taking care of Hemming. He feels so deeply connected and he really wants Hemming to have a beautiful, like joyous life. How much do we think that William kind of being forced into the caregiver role, but he also actually really enjoyed it, played a role in how much he showed up for Jude and his unwavering support and care throughout the years. I think William, that's so weird saying William. I know, I liked Willem. Has this quality about him that he appreciates people for who they genuinely are, and especially because Hemming was his 
brother. He loved him so much. He would say people would pass by and be like, oh, he can't talk. He can't do this. And he's like, but no, he was funny and he was kind and he was all of these amazing things. And William (laughs) grew up to be such a wonderful caretaker. Do you think Allegra that that made him seek out other people to care for? I think that it was probably more of a proximity thing. Like when they got to college and what did they call it? Did they call it the hood with the four of them? Oh my God, they called it the hood. And I think that he probably took a liking to Jude because he understood what it was like to love someone Mm. who was differently abled. Yeah. I like calling it differently abled. In the book, they They say disabled, disabled, but is that... And I wrote down disabled on the outline, so I'm just as guilty. But as I'm thinking about it, I think there's a a push to call it differently abled because disabled kind of says, like, you're not... It's... It's negative. Yeah. And it's like, we're all differently able to to say that like, I'm the correct way of being able. And that's kind of what it is. I think it's like, if you're disabled, you're not correct. I like differently abled. Like if a child has autism, are they disabled or are they just differently abled? Or if I have OCD, am I, you know what I mean? Differently. I think that's a way better way to express that. So I think that he grew up loving someone who was differently able. And I do have to say that I think when it's your family, you probably grow to see that differently. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I think sometimes we can have trouble with things that we don't understand on a personal level. Mm -hmm. And William had personal experience, like loving someone. It was his brother. It was his family. How do you not love that person? But what a difference from him and the way Caleb dealt with his parents who were differently able. Yeah. Wow. You can go one of two ways. It's very true. It's very true. But I think even like when I hear about parents talk about their kids um, who are differently abled or who have certain kinds of disabilities, like that's your kid. Yeah. You love them and you show up for them and you support them in the best ways that you can. And I think that that is how William was brought up to Mm -hmm. see the world. And so empathetic and so like just the most caring, the most selfless. So that is the absolute word to describe him throughout the whole book. I kept thinking, like, this is such a selfless friend in person. Because mm. a lot of people would, like, reach their limit. They'd be like, oh, this is the 50th time they've done this. Right. But he had the utmost patience for all of Jude, everything that came with him. Do you think that William saw Hemming in Jude? Definitely. Oh, yeah. 100%. I think it. he had so many similar qualities. There were so many parallels. And, yeah, what, I mean... Mm. Maybe he felt like... In some ways, like he was still with his brother or he was getting to provide for Hemming what he never got to when Hemming died. Don't we seek out like qualities in Mm -hmm. parents or siblings that we didn't have that we want? And I think that that is probably why William was so taken by Jude. But then at the end, William was like, but it wasn't just me taking care of Jude. William was like, Jude helped me. Like, Jude took care of me. That, 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 that. Yeah, they both and I think showed what's up awesome for each other. Is that William always saw Jude as a whole person, mm-hmm. and I think that's also because he grew up with Hemming. Mm. He saw Jude as it, a person. It wasn't you're a disabled person. It wasn't you're half a person, or you're not showing up for me. He saw Jude as Jude, and also that they started as friends, and they were friends for for decades. It mm. it started with this foundation of a beautiful the friendship. friendships. The friendships were honestly gorgeous. I mean, there were some. There were some rowdy moments at the beginning. Yeah. So we then see 
Jude and William move into a really shitty apartment like, on Lisbon so, Street. So shitty. I'm talking the only thing was it like a was it twin beds were like side in the by same side? room. Yeah, like they were touching. That's how tiny it was. It's New York, baby. Aaron, have you ever had a shitty New York apartment? It's on the Upper West Side, 96th and Weston, which sounds amazing. The location was the only good part about it. It was the size of a shoebox. My room faced directly into an elementary school and there was about like i'm not fucking kidding you like four feet between my building like they were almost touching so i'd open my window and kids would be coming up the stairwell screaming like going to recess like i definitely yeah it was not great that was the best part of the apartment we also had multiple rats to the point where we would name them they were so big that I lived with one of my best friends, Allie, who I met on Craigslist when I was finding a roommate for that apartment. And Shout out to Craigslist. Sponsor us. Sponsor us, Craigslist. She was going to the bathroom one day. I hope this isn't too much information. And she closed the bathroom, which was about the size of like... Their standing room only. Standing room only <laughs> like, in the bathroom. Literally. She looks down and a rat is running into her foot while she's going to the bathroom. No, I would jump. And she can't open the door, so it just keeps hitting itself into her foot. I would like... I would pass out sight unseen. And we complained to management. They didn't do anything. They didn't care. They're like, it's New York. I'm like, oh, so, okay. Yeah, it's such an, ex- it's New York. You've got to deal it's with New it. It's New York, baby. I actually, you're not the first person that has named their family of mice that I know that live in there. Fred, and ours were rats. Mice are okay. They're rats tiny. have diseases. I couldn't. I'm, I told my super when I lived in the East Village, if I ever see a, a rat or a mouse, like game over, I will never stay in that apartment. Have you never lived with, I've, I've lived with mice in almost every apartment. No, my first first ever New York apartment. I only lasted for two weeks when I was 20, 22 <laughs> turning 23. I settled. And that is my big thing. I know sometimes in New York, you do have to settle. But when I came back at the age of 26, I said, we are not making that mistake again. It was on the fourth floor of yeah. a walk up in Nolita. No, I didn't like Nolita. I know some people like it. It's not really my thing. It was so small, wall to wall, my bed fit. It was a queen bed, okay, but still. Okay, icon, not a queen bed. But still, no, actually it might have, I don't even know what it was. It could have been full, but it was wall to wall, my bed, that was it. (laughs) Like, I was at the point where, like, a sofa was hardly going to even fit in the living room. Like, there wasn't even really a living room. Jesus. It was the smallest thing. I can't even, like, it was. Were you living alone? I was living alone. It was a one bedroom. That's amazing. Yes. I had three roommates in this apartment. A studio, basically. It was smaller than a studio. I don't know how to describe it. Like, (laughs) you have to see it. Like, even like my friends were like, Allegra, that apartment was not livable. Like, you gotta see it. It was not a one bedroom. (laughs) And the walls were so thin that the neighbors started putting signs on my door saying, I can hear you at night. You're so loud. It's like, well, we're in fucking New York, babe. Yeah. What do you like? Do you want me to stop talking? And then the worst part of it was I was at the pet store trying to get Ruby a crate because I just gotten Ruby and the landlord or the super called and said, your neighbor is complaining about your dog, but don't worry. I have a solution. You can get the vocal cords removed (gasps) and we won't ever hear that noise again. You're joking. No, this was my super. In Nolita. And I was like, I need to get the fuck out of this building immediately. It was so not livable. It was so fucking gross. And I obviously was not going to get Coco's cords out. Oh my God. That's traumatizing. For someone to even like recommend. That's, oh, it's that's your child. So disgusting. That's your child. So when I came back at 26, I had a list of shit. And you know what kind of does bother me about New York? And I want to hear your opinion. 
I feel like sometimes people brag about like the shoebox as if it's like you're doing New York correctly. And it's like, shut the fuck up. I was telling someone at a Christmas party, like, yeah, I just, I couldn't live in my office cause I had an office in my last apartment. It's so small. And she's like, I lived in a shoebox for eight years. It's mm. called New York, honey. Okay. Yeah. Good for mm. you, sweetie. I don't want to live like that. Yeah. A lot of people. They like take pride Yeah. In I don't really think that's much. I mean, it's also like if you want to live in the best location, you're going to live in a shoebox. If you want to live up where I live in Washington Heights, you're going to get like a huge ass apartment or in Brooklyn, a huge ass apartment. Yeah. No, I don't think that's right. I don't at take all. pride in like shoeboxes, but they really lived in a shitty one. And it was on the box. fifth floor and our poor Jew didn't have an elevator. Oh my God. I know. So we hear in the beginning of the book that he has issues with his legs he has pins in his legs Uh, but they don't go into we don't know why yeah we don't know we they said that he's had pain from like nerve pain misfiring goodness what did you think happened when they initially were talking about his legs did you have any idea did you think that he was born that way I had no idea. So William on page 25 finds Jude on the bathroom puking because he's in so much pain. And then William feels bad and he calls himself a coward for not questioning Jude, like what's going on. He just kind of lets it happen. So this is the start of the dynamic between these boys. Do you think William was honoring Jude's right to privacy? Was he afraid of like messing with their friendship? Was it toxic masculinity? A fear of of talking about hard things? Like what was going on, Allegra? What do you think? I kind of think it was a mixture of all of those things. I think that Jude really felt like a burden and he really wanted and desired to be seen by his friends as someone who was capable. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, I think it also went beyond that. He didn't want people asking or helping him with his legs because then he felt like he had to explain why he was like the way that he was, why yeah. he was in so much pain and that he was taking that to the grave. And, and I he think- had just met them at this point or that not they went to college together yeah, yeah. but they, they went to college but together. it wasn't that long into it right and so i think that if someone is saying like i really don't want to talk about this mm-hmm. i do think that william was honoring jude in that way but i also think there was probably a little bit of like that toxic masculinity that affects men of like i can't talk about my feelings yeah. with you like are you okay? Can I help you in any which way? But really, I think that William was doing his best to try to protect Jude Mm. and to protect his dignity. I think that's kind of what happened throughout the book is he wanted Jude to have dignity and he didn't want to treat Jude like he was something broken that needed fixing. Mm. But it's a hard situation to be in because Jude did need help. Especially as it goes on and time passes and it gets worse, which we will talk about. Oof, 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 oof. The other thing is that we see in Lisbonard Street. So there's a lot of talk about ethnicity, a really big theme in the first section of the book. Like we see JB ridicule Malcolm for not being black enough. He So Malcolm changes the drop-off point for his taxi depending on the driver, which was really interesting. He didn't want – he said if it was a black driver, he would – say I'm off of Lexington. And mm-hmm. if it was a white driver, he would say I'm off of park because he didn't want the black driver to think that he was like super rich. He oh. wanted to appear more like black. Wow. And that's just awful. And JB really fed into that. Yeah. JB was kind of fucked up. I'm sorry. Throughout the entirety of the book, I had a hard time liking him. I, I have very the hardest hard time, time liking, liking him. him, especially like he was so loved and adored. And then he can be so mean, so cruel, like, and cruel is the correct word. Very, very, very cruel. And JB does this project where he like 
stops talking to white people. But what he says is, <laughs> forgot about Jude's that. race is unclear. So, what did you think that meant, Aaron? Like, how did you picture Jude? It's so weird. I didn't honestly think too hard about it. I see Jude in my mind as like a mix of a lot of things. There's an actor that Jude is giving. <laughs> And I can't think of him right now, but I kind of picture Jude as um, like a mix of Asian and white. And I don't even know why, but you thought he... I didn't know his ethnicity. You said you had a clear vision. Yeah, I had a very clear vision, but then it was, I almost was mad during the rest of the book because it was like his light hair. And yeah. His, I'm like, what? I did not think... And they said how hot he was and oh, like okay. how girls... Daddy. Like, yeah. I was Jude like, was a... Yeah, I feel like I would be attracted most to Jude or Will William. Yeah, a hundred million percent. Okay, so Jude's race is still unclear, but that also I think is because he can't ever know. He doesn't, Jude doesn't know his biological parents. Mm -hmm. His birth parents. Okay, so we're introduced to Jude's cutting in Lispinard Street, and Jude asks William to take him to Andy's on New Year's Eve when he has had a really bad, what do you call it when you, like, Cut a lot. He wasn't attempting to die by suicide. It was, I think it was an accidental injury from self-harm is probably how I would conceptualize that. But it was so much blood that it was dangerous. And like, he probably needed to go to the ER, but Jude's like, no, take me to Andy's. I trust Andy. He didn't want to get like committed. Yeah. And I was wondering, was this the correct way to go about it? If you know a friend is cutting, should they have forced him to get professional help? I'm confused why they didn't. I think at the very least, William needed to have a conversation with Jude about the cutting, which he didn't ever really do. Like at the very, the bare minimum is having that conversation. And I try to put myself in his shoes and in Andy's shoes. And I think both of them, again, really wanted to respect Jude's dignity. But at what point are you then enabling that behavior? And I think that if someone is cutting, like they do need professional help and you can't make someone do that. But if that happened to a friend of mine and they almost lost their life, I would have done something more. Yeah, and they let this go on for decades. Yeah, and I know that it's it's not the thing that Jude wanted, but perhaps if he had gotten help in that moment, it would have saved him so, so, yeah. so much pain. And like learn how to talk about things and go through and process his trauma yeah. way before it built. It He let his trauma build up for so long. And, like, and I just, I get why, because it's like, God, he had so much of it. I know. But yeah, this is like the start of both Andy and William not knowing what to do with Jude. And we Mm -hmm. see it throughout the entirety of the first half of this book. Like, am I doing the right thing? Am I not? They go back and forth with that, but they always end up respecting Jude's wishes. And part of me is like, that's so wrong. That's so wrong. But also part of me understands. Especially because Jude was never in control of his body growing up. Mm -hmm. So I think that that probably played a role in Andy saying like, I want him to have the right to make decisions about his body because he didn't get that for years when he was abused. That's a good point. I think they actually went into that. uh, He wanted autonomy over Mm -hmm. his own body and he never, ever got that. This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. 
To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. And then we have William, who is getting a start in the city as an actor while trying to support himself at a restaurant. Oh, my God. Have you dealt with this? Like, what did you do when you moved to New York and you were pursuing acting? Did you have like 13 jobs? Allegra? Did you have a sugar daddy that was Allegra? paying your rent? I almost signed up for sugar daddy, but I remember like, like my mom was like, please don't do that. Please I don't had get on sugar babies. So many freaking jobs when I moved here. I sold Can rice. I guess. Yeah, go ahead. You worked at Subway. No, but that would be lit. I did. That you, be- you were definitely like a waitress at one point. 100%. Where did you wait? Well, I waited tables in Boston. I didn't wait tables here, but I did sell Rice Krispie treats on Etsy. I did nanny. The girl slapped me in the face, so I quit. Oh, I sold organic beer at Whole Foods, so I would roll around this rolly bag full of beer and give out samples at Whole Foods. I also sold samples of popsicles. You were like a Costco sample girly. I am a sample queen. One day I set up like hundreds of samples of popsicles on this big table that I had to do. And I had to wear this hat and this uniform. Hi, do you want any samples? And the whole table collapsed and everything went. That's why I would go. The entire. I was like, I've had enough. I'm done. I've had enough. How does one sell Rice Krispies on Etsy? Was it ones that you made? I made them, yeah, in my kitchen that had rats. So you get William's struggle. I do. So he's talking about him working at the restaurant and how there's people at the restaurant who went from being actors to just being career waiters. And how if you were asked, like, you're not even allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to talk about auditions or agents. And they say acting was like the war and they were veterans. They didn't want to think about the war and they certainly didn't want to talk about it with Neefs, who were still eagerly dashing toward the trenches, who were still excited to be in country. Essentially, it's like, at what point do you give up is I think like what they were considering because some had given up yeah. and some hadn't. So I remember when I moved here, I gave myself, I was like, in five years, if I I haven't been on TV. I, I'm moving home. I quit. Oh, really? I was like, all I want is one line on TV. And if I don't get it, like, fuck it. I'm I'm never coming back. I had done plays in Off-Broadway. But shortly before, I think it was my four years, I booked the series. And I was like, okay, this is a sign. But it's just... But, like, nothing is guaranteed. You can do that. And then nothing can happen. And just reading William's struggle really messed me up in, like... Just he worked so hard and he was so exhausted from his day job that he didn't have the energy to act. And I think that's like what's probably hard and correct me if I'm wrong is like you can be the most talented person in the world. But at the end of the day, some people just don't make it in this industry. Totally. And Especially at what in New point, York. Right. Do you be like, you know, now I'm like pushing 50 and I and I haven't booked a role. Like at what yeah. point do you <laughs> throw the towel in? No, totally. And like. The older you get, the more you feel like a failure and the more you feel like, oh, you're not a failure, baby. Maybe this isn't for me. Um, But then William starts to get some traction. Thank God. So then we get to the postman. What did it? Five years had passed. So they're probably like, what, like 28, 29 ish. Yeah. Roughly ish. I think it started around like the age of 27 ish. Jude has his leg pain, but he does this thing for himself every week where he's going on his weekly walks. Walking in New York is my favorite thing. Like, it- <laughs> Lazy bitch. <laughs> I am not a huge walker. I really wish that I was, but I find New York to be exhausting. Mm. I like taking like the dogs on a walk or sometimes I'll like take my book and like walk on the promenade, but I've just never been a walker. Mm. I don't know. I think that 
when I'm in this city, sometimes I like to, like, I used to, like, when I worked in PR and I would come on business trips, I would walk, like, 30 blocks to my apartment and I liked it. But now I think I'm too old. I'm just exhausted. After, like, yeah. We're you kind of get old, over y'all. the walking. I, I don't. I, oh. It's my, it's my like, therapy, though. It's, like, my way of, like, getting out of my head. That's why I, I like love it. that. And there's always a beautiful thing to see in New York. Yeah. I, not in the winter when it's sludgy and gross. No, but in I the summer, like, if I'm in the worst place ever, I'll, like, go to the park and just, like, make it's myself glorious. walk. Yeah. I highly recommend it. I think I should like maybe it. start walking. We'll go to the park together. Yeah. I'll go to the park. I just... I'm not a walk. I don't even like walking to the subway. I know it sounds lazy, but it's like, it just takes a lot out of me. (laughs) But like, is there any part of it if you're like super depressed in bed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I like, I was really depressed over, this is probably good that I can't think of it. It was over Christmas break and I took a long hot girl walk. I went to the East River. I listened to Glennon Doyle's podcast and that helped me feel so much more alive. Oh my God. I used to listen to her podcast when I was in a deep dark place. Glennon is God. Glennon. We must. We must have talk you on. To you. We must meet. But you. also, like, did you find that Jude's walking was self punishment? Because I know he enjoyed it, but I'm sorry. To some extent, I felt like he was almost punishing himself. Like he was in so much pain. Yeah, but I also understand like both things. Just because I mine is nowhere near. But like having an injury, if you and if you love to walk and move, you kind of just say fuck it and keep doing yeah. it because it brings you so much. He joy. did enjoy it. Yeah, he but, loved. Like, it got it. to the point where he was. I mean, he had gashes on his legs Oof. opening up. He was bleeding. And he had he to was, get, like, a cab home one right, day. Right, and he's still on these walks. Yeah. That but, was rough. And then on page 111, JB Oof. pushes Jude to tell the group what happened to his legs. And we said it felt invasive. And so you could walk before as if he wasn't walking now. That was super hurtful. So Jude says it was a car injury, not an accident. And William picked up on the word choice. What do you think? That means Allegra. I, I think I immediately took it as like he tried to kill himself yeah. and it he didn't succeed. We're not even at – I don't think we know quite yet the car accident. We haven't gotten to that no. point in the book or the car injury, but I think that was definitely it. What did you think? I thought the word choice was intentional and that it had to do with him trying to hurt himself. And this was right around the time where Jude was really feeling pressured by people to open up. But I also understand that when – you have a friend that you've been friends with for like years. You do want to know about their life. Yeah. Would you have wanted you to open up more, Aaron? If you were in that friendship, could you be friends with someone who never offered anything about their past? I don't know. I mean, it would feel like it's uneven in that if I'm divulging like all this information and all these vulnerabilities, I would want that to be reciprocated or it would feel uneven. But then in in this sense, I think William could really sense that Jude's trauma was like next level. I think that they could all sense it to a degree. I think it would be hard to have a friend that didn't give anything in that regard. But Mm -hmm. I also think that they were really able to sense that. Mm. I don't know. It feels like relationships have to work both ways. Yeah. And I know Jude was a wonderful friend to them, but I just can't imagine myself how much I talk and how much like I disclose. I couldn't imagine not asking Jude questions. Yeah, it would feel strange. It would feel really strange. Like I I just don't I think that I would have been the one. I would have been like Harold was later in the book. I would have been like, so 
where'd you grow up? Like, yeah. So what's up? Right. What's up, my man, Jude? Jude, what's going on, baby? So Jude had his relationship with Anna, the social or Anna. Yes. And it flashes. This is what we should tell the readers too. If you have or haven't read, we flash back in time, but then we also flash forward. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of flashbacks into Jude's childhood and this yeah. relationship with the social worker. Anna was one of them. Oh my God. I loved their relationship. She was one of the first people that really saw Jude and cared for him exactly how he was and heard about everything that happened i think that she was the only person that knew everything because when he woke up in the hospital Mm -hmm. he i think was under or on so many drugs that he like word vomited everything and she still loved him and he felt safe around her it was so beautiful and she tried to get him to talk about his trauma on page 119 oof this quote is so 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 powerful she said You have to talk about these things while they're fresh or you'll never talk about them because it's going to get harder and harder the longer you wait. It's going to fester inside you and you're always going to think you're to blame. You'll be wrong, of course, but you'll always think it. Allegra, what do you think as a therapist? Tell me the correct answer. If you hold on to trauma and don't voice it, does it become bigger inside you? How does that work? Yes. So at first, my initial reaction was like, why does she keep pushing him to talk about this? It might re-traumatize him. And what we're learning now is that a person doesn't necessarily need to verbally recount all of their trauma to heal from it. Mm. But then throughout the book, we get to see that Jude wishes, like he keeps saying, I wish Anna would have asked one more time. I wish she would have pushed me one more time because he didn't know how to talk about his trauma when he later wanted to. And I think like Brene Brown says, secrecy, or she says something like shame thrives with secrecy Mm. and it does eat you alive. Like you can't bury that kind of trauma and expect that it's never going to come up at some point throughout your life. And I think that he needed someone to mirror back to him. Like you didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not disgusting. You're not gross. You're not bad. And Anna died before he got that opportunity. And it kept just getting cemented as the years went on. He's like, oh, this is who I am. I am bad. It does get harder to talk about. It's like (sighs) it's been in there for so long. How do you bring that up? Especially when you've never had the words for it. Or like anyone to show you how to share. Right. So I do, I could see both sides. Like, I mean, Jude was traumatized and trusted no one. I can't expect that he would have opened up to Anna, just being frank. And then when she died and like he hadn't shared and he was, he was so broken after she died. He says she was the first and last person I will never have to explain myself to. But then... Harold Harold enters the chat. Harold is is my favorite person ever. Harold and Jude are my favorite fictional relationship I've ever read in a book ever, 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 ever. Screaming, crying, scream, crying, crying, screaming. I I was sobbing. Oh, my God. So Jude starts working for Harold after Harold was his teacher. Harold's a law teacher at their law school, right? Yes. Okay. And then Harold takes Jude to get suits Suit because shopping. he gets a job. And Jude's like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. He's never had anyone do something that nice for him. And that was so, like, that was so paternal. Yeah. Like, what a way to show someone that you care about them. Like, and then he got a haircut. I know. And then, Allegra, you wanted to read the oh, quote. Oh, this was so meaningful for me because it comes this lesson comes back to us a few times in the book but jude is like thinking and thinking and thinking like probably compulsively thanking harold for the suits okay ocd king yeah literally jude also has ocd 
Harold says, please stop thanking me. And he says, has anyone ever told you that sometimes you just need to accept things, Jude? In life, sometimes nice things happen to good people. You Mm. don't need to worry. They don't happen as often as they should. But when they do, it's up to the good people to just say thank you and move on. And maybe consider that the person who's doing the nice thing Mm. gets a bang out of it as well. And really isn't in the mood to hear all the reasons of the person for why he's done the nice thing doesn't think he deserves it or isn't Mm. worthy of it. So Harold is basically saying, Jude, I'm getting something from this relationship. What do you think that was at first, Erin? Why do you think that Harold gravitated toward Jude? Because it was a different kind of, you know, like he was his professor. It was, but they formed a friendship. I feel like he wanted to mentor him. He saw the brilliance in Jude that he hadn't seen in a student in a long time. And it begun as a mentorship. He's like, oh, you're brilliant at law. Oh, wait, you're brilliant at math, at pure math. And then he saw all the things he was good at. He's also funny. He's also sweet. And he was like, okay, wait, I like love you. And the more he learned about him, they just, they were connected. Like they got along like fricking frack. Like they, they fit so well together. It was really sweet. And then we learn why Harold also gravitates toward Jude. Harold had lost a son, Jacob, who had died and he sees Jacob and all of the boys. And he never got to see him grow. No, he never got to see his son grow old. And I think he really wanted that with Jude. Yeah, he the, wanted the opportunity to nurture a boy again. I wrote a quote down, but I'm not sure where it is, but it was like one of the prettiest things I've ever read. It basically was like, if you're lucky enough, you'll lose people in your life and then other people will step in and like fulfill oh, that place. This is also traumatizing for a kid. Jude knocks over the oh, yeah. mug that Jacob had made him and he's like so horrified. Like, I'm going to leave. Please ask me to leave. I'm yeah. so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then Harold says the most beautiful thing to Jude. You must read it. On page 152. Dear Jude, thank you for your beautiful, if unnecessary note. I appreciate everything in it. You're right. That mug, oh mug, means a lot to me. But you mean more. So stop torturing yourself. If I were a different kind of person, I might say this whole incident is a metaphor for life in general. Things get broken and sometimes they get repaired. And in most cases, you realize that no matter what gets damaged, life rearranges itself to compensate for your loss, sometimes wonderfully. Actually, maybe I am that kind of person. Love, Harold. Harold is God. Harold is so emotionally intelligent, so emotionally available. Mm. Like, where are the Heralds in this world? Harold, come out and play. We need you. Harold, no, Harold for president. Harold, adopt Harold, I'm begging of you. When I was listening to... Jude as like a 30 year old getting to walk into Harold and Julia's home and they set up a bedroom for him and how well he slept and just having these people care for him. Give and him like towels. Harold, I reside at 107 Columbia Heights. <laughs> like, Here. Please pick me up. Harold, Allegra and I need daddies. So we need daddies. And not really sugar daddies, bad. just daddy daddies. So yeah, please. Not, a, not a sugar daddy. I have some options for that. Please, Harold. I want to be fucking adopted. This is a petition me. to this get This is my adopted. dying wish. Wow. Okay, so on page 150, Jude says he's in a constant state of readiness, preparing himself for disappointment, even as he yearned to be proven wrong. Allegra, 
What is, what is this? Can you therapize this behavior? Oh, I would love to. So it was really hard for Jude to trust Harold first and foremost. He says that men only wanted one thing from him. Mm. At that point, I knew that he was talking about sexual abuse and it was Ugh. absolutely traumatizing. So I think that when someone has had such a difficult childhood, when they face so much abuse and abandonment and neglect, you almost can't believe that you are deserving of someone who actually loves you and who wants your friendship and who cares about you. Like you feel like you are fundamentally at your core bad and you're just waiting for the day that someone else is going to see it. Mm. So Jude felt like he was doubting his reality. Does Harold actually like me this much or am I seeing things incorrectly? And it Mm. feels like it's almost, it feels easier and it feels safer. I put that in quotes because it's not actually safer to constantly prepare for the relationship to end. It's like a protective mechanism. It hurts you. Never heard of that. <laughs> Literally. I'm like, not every single day of my life. Yeah. Um, it like it, it hurts you. But at the end of the day, you feel like at least I'm prepared for this because I know that at some point they're going to find out who I really am. Mm. This is not going to work out. The other shoe is going to drop. Like it just felt too dangerous for him to relax into the relationship and to let himself need. Especially when he makes a mistake. And in the past, if he ever made a mistake, oh, he, he would be banished. Beaten. Yeah. Brutally like, beaten. So any he was mistake. Just waiting for it. Like he just kept saying, I'm waiting for Harold to find out yeah. who I am. And Harold loved Harold who he loved was. the fucking shit out of Jude. It was the sweetest thing ever. And then we get to the part, which I clearly read this differently than you. We get foreshadowing. So the author played around with point of view a lot did that confuse you ever um sometimes yeah when you're like you i didn't know who exactly we were yeah talking so to. we get this he says you asked me when i first knew that he was for me mm. we later find out that he's son. talking about jude his yeah. son when he was for you i in that moment thought that harold was talking to jude and that Harold had started, like, having sex with either William or JB. Like, oh that's where my mind went. No. And I was like, don't fuck this up, Harold. No. Don't fuck this up. We you need are going to destroy this man's life. No, I never thought that. And that makes me laugh that you thought that it because. Was, so then when we get to this part where, first of all, Harold, lesson in trauma 101, you don't say to someone, we need to talk in yeah. two days. Yeah. And Jude's just, like, freaking out. What did you think he wanted to talk about? I had no idea I what was, was coming. I was say I'm having sex with JB. Oh, my God. <laughs> So, or that I'm like terminally ill and I'm dead. I thought terminally ill. Yeah. Or like, or we're moving or like something. Yeah. And then we find out oh my that God. Harold wants to adopt Jude. Oh my this God. This was the sweetest, best moment of any book I think any I've book. ever read. My whole heart exploded yeah. into confetti and oh. glittered down all over my fucking couch. It was, and like, it was just... It was, and Jude says right in that moment, this is everything I've ever wanted. Mm. He felt like he was full in ways he had never been full. He was empty until this moment. I didn't see it coming at all. And I just, I relate to Jude so much. And I know we'll talk about this later, but my God, I think that that had to have been one of the most beautiful, but also scary thing for him. So Right before, it was like a couple of weeks before the adoption was set to take place, like legally in court, we see a really big uptick in Jude's cutting and Mm -hmm. he's losing an excessive amount of weight because (sighs) he was afraid that Harold would find out that he was bad. He was afraid that he was going to fuck it up. So he started avoiding Harold. I know. And Harold's like, is everything okay? Like, are you mad at me? I fucking love Harold. Like... I don't think there can be a better dad than Harold. There isn't. There just isn't. 
He's inherently like so sensitive. And then he goes and he confesses to Harold and he says, Harold, I have to tell you something. Like, I'm not who you think I am. And what Harold responds, I must read this, is just the most iconic. It's on page 226. He says, in the absence of specifics, I won't be able to reassure you specifically. So I'm just going to give you a blanket all-encompassing reassurance, which I hope you'll believe. Jude, whatever it is, whatever you did, I promise you, whether you someday tell me or not, that it will never make me regret wanting or having you as a member of my family. Mm. Jude St. Francis, as your future parent, I hereby absolve you of of everything for which you seek absolution. Like, sobbing. Everything he's ever wanted is coming true, and that must have brought him more anxiety. Well, more anxiety, and it was hard to believe it. He says... He thinks about when he confessed to Brother Luke at one point, he was having trouble believing in God. And Brother Luke said, the hardest thing is not finding the knowledge. The hardest thing is believing it. Does that not ring true if you have attachment trauma or any kind of trauma? Like someone could tell you over and over and over again that you're lovely and wonderful and lovable, but it's so hard to access that logic and to believe it. You have like selective hearing. Yeah. Have you ever felt that way? All the time. All the time. In relationships. Yeah. I'll I'll be reassured a billion times. And then it feels like no amount of reassurance. No. No, because it's so deeply ingrained in you and what you feel like you deserve. Like if you have this like core belief that you are not lovable, like no one could say I love you enough. And I love that this book talks about that because I think so often people will say things like, but you are, you just have to see that. And it's like, well, if you lived, if you've lived my life for the past, however many years, if you had my upbringing, if you dealt with what I had, and that is internalized and bone deep, like no amount of you telling me that you love me or whatever is going to like chip away at that. Like maybe eventually over time, Mm -hmm. but it's like, you're kind of chipping away at the fucking Titanic iceberg. And it's like, at what point do we like break it down? Anyone else could have gotten discouraged and been like, what is wrong with him? Why won't he just like believe me? But he hung in there. He was so patient and we all we all need someone who's going to show up like that. What I really want to ask is on page 164, Jude says he knew Andy thought he was self-destructive or delusional or in denial. But what Andy never understood about him was this. He was an optimist. Every month, every week, he chose to open his eyes to live another day in this world. Do you agree, Aaron? Was he self-destructive or was he an optimist? Because I have strong feelings. I think he was both. I mean, he he chose to do the only thing that kept him alive and eased his pain, which also was self-destructive. And he had close calls so many times. I think Jude has to be an optimist to live through what he's lived through and to stay alive and to live with that amount of pain and to be reminded every single day when you look at your legs and when you see your body, the trauma that you've been through, like that perspective was so life-changing for me to read because it was true. Andy was looking at him like, why are you destroying yourself? And he's like, no, you don't get it. Like, I'm trying so fucking hard to Mm. stay alive every day. Even though the thing he does to keep himself alive is hurting himself. But that's the only thing that works It's the only, right. Like, and it's hard to to say, like, you shouldn't be doing this. Well, it's keeping him alive. What's the alternative? Like, if someone, if Jude was sent to get professional help, what would they, how would they get him to stop cutting? What is that like that's a really great question we don't treat the symptom we're Mm. treating like essentially what caused the symptom does that make sense so we're working on getting to what is leading to the cutting but then also because you have the urge to cut we're also going to look at how can we find less destructive ways to self-soothe but 
He never learned how to self-soothe, well, ever. Well, we learned that Brother Luke taught him how to cut, and Oof. what's even worse is he used to throw himself down the stairs, and Brother Luke's like, this is better than throwing yourself down the stairs. How about you cut yourself? Here's some razors. He gave him razors. It's His father figure told him to cut himself. Yeah, like, how do you blame him? You and can't. I think especially, like, you cut for a couple of different reasons, and I think Jude said he cut for all of them. Yeah. Number one, when you're... In so much pain, you want the pain to stop, so you do something physical. Number two, you don't feel anything at all, and you want to feel something, so you cut. And then number three is like, a, I'm mm. going to punish myself. The self-harm stuff, it's really, really difficult. Well, and given read. his, like, we at, at this point in the book, we really get into his life at the monastery. Yeah. And we find out that he was left next to a trash bin on top of a trash bag as a baby, like essentially naked. On page 167, Brother Peter said, you must have done something very bad to be left behind like that. Maybe you cried so much they just couldn't stand it any longer. Allegra, what the this hell? This is so fucking pivotal. This adult man in yes. his life says, it is your fault you were abandoned. It is your fault You're your bad. parents left you. You're bad. But what also we get, at least I got from this, and maybe because it's I'm a therapist, but also I felt this way, it's, you need too much. Stop fucking needing. Mm. You're crying too much. They couldn't stand your crying and they left you. You need to stop fucking needing. And I think that played into throughout the entirety of the book. Jude saying, I don't want help. I don't need your help. Because he felt like if he needed in that way, he was going to lose everyone. Yeah. And that he was bad and didn't deserve it. It's just fucking awful. And then we find out that he was physically and sexually abused at the monastery. Ugh. They beat him. Father Gabriel lights his fucking hand on fire. The amount make, of abuse they put him through. I was like about to, I was like gagging. Yeah, I, it was really difficult it to read. It was a really painful yeah. read. Like they made him walk around in his blood and his urine. And But then they did that. And then on page 174, Brother Luke starts leaving him flowers. This and, is grooming. Grooming. This was literally for me when I was reading this, was like this is the start of grooming we see it play out i'm ignorant because like in the beginning i'm like oh maybe it's the one maybe, nice brother who maybe brother luke is yeah, the nice he's one. a sweet man no. no i knew that the instant that i caught on is when the other brother said stay away from brother luke he's not good and like how they all avoided him but it's like how is this fucking man how do you know that he's a pedophile and he's like i guess it happens in the catholic church all the fucking yeah. time yeah but yeah. I, the flowers, that was the first sign of grooming. Then it was buying the toys. toys. And then it and was like, like, Jude, it's so good to see ew, you. Like buttering him up. And, and then he kidnapped him. I mean, he straight up kidnapped his ass. Yeah, truly. And then talks about this great land that they're going to reach. It gets his hopes up and rubs his back. Oof. And it's getting, it's getting It's dark. cringe, cringe, cringe. It's but, getting really, really cringe. But before that happens, we flash back to the boys turning 30 and how big this was to them mm -hmm. and how timelines for all of them as artists and even for Jude timelines were huge. And so I wanted to ask you, Allegra, are you scared to turn 30? If so, Burst why? <laughs> what are the feelings that come up with that? What do you feel like you should have achieved by 30? 30 is such a big age. 30 is a big age. I think I'm scared to turn 30 just because of my biological clock there's no other reason like i'm not someone that wants to live in my 20s forever i feel very at peace with where i am in my career it's really just like the actual fact of my own biology that like the older you get the harder it is to have children and i've always wanted at least three so it does scare me and i know that women are having babies at like 38 and 40 but 
if I were to have it my way, I would have already had a kid. So it does <laughs> scare me a bit to get there. Like, I think I, I, I often try to help myself by saying things like it'll happen by this age. And I so remember being like 22 saying mm. to myself, Allegra, by 28, like you're definitely going to be married. Like it's going to be fine by then. And it's I like, did that shit too. I'm 28 and I'm so fucking single. It like literally hurts inside. It like eats me alive. But not only do I want kids, I want like the prospect of being able to have a child, which mm. means fucking meeting someone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty fucking terrified. And that's like the biggest thing. You're like, oh, I sh- this should have happened. And where should does- have, and I want it to happen. Mm, okay. It's like not even should. It's so much of like what I desire. And I really hate that a man can have a kid at 50. Like, go fuck yourself. But like at 35, you're at a geriatric pregnancy. I've been talking a lot with my girlfriends who are closer to my age than yours i'm not that much older than like but like two years old yeah before but still we've been talking a lot about freezing eggs is that something you would ever think about i have so many mixed feelings and i never want to offend anyone but this is about speaking our truth number one it feels like giving up to me which like i don't even know why i'm about to cry but i feel like i am oof i feel like if i freeze my eggs then i'm like saying it's like not gonna happen for me. Not at all. You know, and I know that that's not the case, but like I've thought about like what if I just freeze them now? Cause I wanna have as many eggs as possible. But it feels mm-hmm. like if I do that, then I'm saying to myself, like, you know, this is not gonna happen. So you're freezing your eggs, like knowing that. And I don't wanna like know that. You know, like I do want to just like know that I'm gonna meet someone, but I will say that like at age 30, I will freeze my eggs for sure. Like I feel like I'm gonna give myself like a year and a half, but like, I know it's not giving up. It just feels that way to me. Like, it feels like I'm saying to the universe, like, Mm. I know somehow that this is not going to happen. So, like, let me do this thing. Yeah, I totally understand that feeling. I have friends that have frozen their eggs even with a partner because your eggs are younger. You know what I'm saying? Like, the younger they are, the the fresher they are. But then I'm like... (laughs) Is that giving up? Wait, what did you say? It's like, do it now. Like, I'm 28. Yeah. Why not have, like, really But literally, like, you can still use them with a partner, but you're just freezing the eggs that you have now. Right. So that's why I don't think it's giving up at all. I think it's just... I don't either. I want to preface that. That's just how it feels to me right You're now. a spring chicken. You got some fresh eggs. I know. It's just like, ugh. And I, I don't know. Like, I know it can happen at any time, but it's like I'm at the point where I'm also just, like, over people being like, yeah. you're so young and it'll happen and it's this and it's like... Oh, it just gets so exhausting to hear. It's like... Especially when you pictured yourself by a certain age. Right. And not because of society. This is genuinely my wants and desires. And like, I'm glad a lot of my friends don't want to have kids. It's a nice perspective. But then they'll say to me like, oh, like, that's disgusting. Like, you're 28 (laughs) in New York. What do you want that? And it's like, I've always wanted that. Yeah. I would feel happier if I didn't want to have fucking kids. There would be no timeline. I could fall in love at 40 for all I fucking care and I'd be happy. I did think about adopting, though, after reading about Jude's story. I'm well, like, what if I just went this week? You'd be in, like, not this week. Allegra. Oh, no, I literally was, like, Allegra? in my office on Thursday thinking, like, this might be the solution. Y'all, we can't have a podcast if Allegra has a newborn. Yes, we can, though, right in that little thing right here. Oh, my God. You're dead serious. Oh, no, I was literally considering it. But then I'm like, <laughs> uh, listen, my therapist said it might be a good idea. And then she looked shell-shocked. <laughs> she was like, someone called the police. I'm Lori <laughs> Lori, let her wait like at least a year. I like, no, Allegra cannot read a book and then go adopt a baby after reading a book. Let me wait like five years. Lori's like, call the police. I can't handle it. Wait till 30. 
Okay. To adopt. If you're I'm going to wait that. until like 35. I don't need it now. I just so deeply desire it now. It's like actually insane. Yeah. Like my ovaries like hurt. It's it's also Are like. Are you freezing your eggs, by the way? Not that I know of. I don't have any Do you money. Want kids? Yeah. I, oh, it's I, so expensive. I need, I need two kids. It's so expensive. I want two kids. I want a boy and then a girl. That's what I always wanted. I always wanted a sibling because I was very lonely. $10,000. Yeah, it's really. Eggs. A lot of employers now are freezing eggs for free. A lot of my friends well, are getting some for free. I employ myself. I don't get any of those fucking Yeah, benefits. no. But I also, let's just talk about the fact that you then, if you're single, have to start injecting hormones into your body. That's by the biggest thing that I'm I don't scared like of. That. Because I know someone that did that and it. I mean, I already am mentally unwell and it, sweetie, I'm ill. It messed up their, like, messed them up. Like, no Prozac could fix that. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I don't want to be like, shoot up my stomach. You know, like, I feel like people have, like, parents or, like, yeah. And I'm sure I would have friends that would do it with me, but, like, that terrifies me. No, I, and I'm scared of And then you bloat really badly. Like, you get, like, really. I've been talking to a lot of people about this. Like, my friends more and more are like, crazy. surgery, babe. Yeah. They put you under anesthesia. Yeah, I don't mind that. And it like, I know that I'm grateful to have options, but it also pisses me the fuck off that some people don't even have to think about this. They just like find a partner and start having kids. Like, go fuck yourself. But you know what? Life is not fair. <laughs> not Life just isn't fair. Go fuck yourself. But life's not fair. And we learned that in this book. It just isn't fair. We're all dealt what we're dealt. And it could be worse. But also, I did turn 30 a, a little you bit loved ago. loved it, didn't you? I have lots of thoughts. I had a minty B when I turned 25. It was one of the worst years of my life. Um, it was so, 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 so bad. Darkest, 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 dark, dark. I was like, oh, 30 is going to be dark, but it wasn't. It Like nothing could top how bad 25 was. I feel like that's going to happen for you too. Like you've been through some dark shit. It can only go up from here, honey. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're right. It's like shit. Yeah. Can it get any worse? And mine was during the pandemic, which pissed me off because I had a whole thing planned. It was right smack dab in the middle of it. But something my mom always says that makes me happy she's like it gets better it gets better every year like the older you get you care less and it just keeps getting better not that it like started good but like i like to think that because i've had a we both have had like a hard go of it as a lot it of does people get have. better you, we, i think i definitely grow so, like i'm so much more assured of myself and you seem like you are too like even being called an obese cow this morning like <laughs> i didn't i didn't align with it like it didn't yeah it, it like it reflected right off of me and like six years ago i would have been like it's called growth honey it's called growth <laughs> i was about to jump out my window like six years it's ago giving- this happened but i feel like people are like life just gets more meaningful when you get older because mm. you have a family and it's like okay yeah i'm waiting for that moment babe i'm waiting for it to get more meaningful i think it gets better because you I think every year you care less. Like, as you just said five years ago, you would have cared I would have, so much more. If someone called me an obese cow, it would have been the end of my <laughs> Yeah, life. literally. I would have called Lori for an emergency Literally. Session. Like, meet me in the middle of the street. Like, I'm... Lori, I'm, <laughs> Lori, I'm actually outside your office window. Yeah, I'm waving. <laughs> I'm at your home. <laughs> yeah, I brought some treats. Like, I'm ending this. Let me in. Oh, my God, stop. She's like, Allegra. Ding dong, I'm here. <laughs> Lori looks through the people. <laughs> it's my face. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, so... So JB has his art show. Oof, this was bad. And he promises he won't put any pics of Jude in his show without his permission. But then he does. And it's the photo of it's titled Jude After Sickness. How did you feel about that? Was that crossing the line? I thought that was 
really, really fucked up. Yeah. You are profiting off of number one because you're selling it. Oh, I didn't even think you about that. You are profiting that. off of your friend's pain. Oof. And then you were exploiting your friend in a very vulnerable fucking moment when they didn't know their picture was taken. Like, if in you front started of all these people. Yeah, if I were like changing in like my sports bra and you started taking photos of me and like, Let's say my insecurity is, like, my arms. It is one of my bigger insecurities. If you, like, did a whole art show and, like, painted my arms and put it front and center, like, I would kill you. Yeah, and it's called Allegra. Like, he no, used I his would, name. Literally, it is so beyond exploitative. And he's so fucking self-absorbed yeah. that he can't see that. He's in a phase at this yeah, point in the book where... it's not going well for him. No, nobody can get through to him. He is in his own world. He is feeling famous. He is feeling rich. He is feeling, but he is treating his friends like shit. And it gets Did you worse. think it was fucked? If you make a promise to a friend, you keep it, especially right. if it's one exactly that profits off of his pain. It's a photo of him where he's like grimacing. Yeah. He's in so yeah. it's, like, that's actually kind of fucking sadistic that you see your friend like this, decide to fucking paint him and like not tell him like, that's kind of sick. It's worse than painting like a nude that they weren't yeah. consenting to. Yeah. I think that's Should messed we, up. Okay. So then we get on to vanities. Vanities. And this is where all of their careers are starting to blossom. And it's also where the four boys are kind of all drifting apart from one another. Yeah. They see each other at these parties in Brooklyn and William is now famous. He's on a billboard. God, the people at the party were fucking belittling his career, acting like it didn't exist, acting like it didn't matter. So on 251, Arthur, he says, I don't think I've heard of it after Will- William tells him he's in this show. I fucking hate when people do that. I don't care if you've heard of it. So William says he hated the way certain people said, good for you, William, as if his job were some sort of spun sugar fantasy, a fiction he fed himself and others, not something that actually existed. That is such a thing you do with artists. You're like... Oh, you're an artist? Like, oh, good good for you. It's almost as bad as you say, I'm an actor, and oh, what have I seen you in? Like, shut it's mind so, your own business. Right. It's, it's like it's a it's like it's a cute hobby, yeah. is how I got that they were talking to him. Like, no, he went to he went he has been taking classes his whole life. Like, this is such a big deal for him. Don't you dare belittle his Do you ever deal livelihood. with this, Aaron, where people like belittle your career and think that it's not the same as like another career? Yeah, all the time. We talked about it in Pineapple Street. And William is so What's the word? Like, William is so not prideful. I would have looked at right at the students. Modest. I literally would have been like, hi, look, I'm right there. there. There was also like, yeah, his face was on a billboard behind him. I would have like him. straight up pointed, but it's almost like they were purposely ignoring it. They were jealous. And I don't think all artists are this way, but I think sometimes it's like, you're an artist and you're a writer and you're like illiterate or yeah. whatever the fuck it is. And it's like you exclude other people because you feel like you're on some like higher moral ground because you do art in this way and it's like shut the fuck up do you know what i think that comes from mostly i get it from people who work like nine to fives and like don't have any creative Mm -hmm. jobs and they're jealous that they haven't pursued their dreams yes and then i feel like sometimes it's people in the art scene who feel like more superior Mm. because they're they're a grittier artist oh i see yeah and it's like Go fuck yourself. Acting is also an art. If you were happy, though, with your career, why would you feel the need to put others A million percent. Down? I think they're jealous. They are jealous. Jealous. So Jude takes oh. his job as a criminal attorney because he wants to make sure he can take care of himself. Okay, he's sick of not having an elevator. This walk-up's got to go. He has so many medical bills, etc. So Harold is disappointed in him. He's like, wait, you're a criminal attorney. Like you used to help the people. Like what the fuck are you doing? What have you done? I'm so disappointed. How did you, do you think it's fair that Harold was disappointed? No, I don't. And this is where 
Jude was so embarrassed to tell Harold why he needed the job. And it's none of Harold's fucking business. I love Harold to death. You know this. But I do think him saying, like, I'm so disappointed in you wasn't quite fair. Mm. He gets to make career decisions for himself. But I also think Jude liked that Harold was disappointed because he thought to himself, like, oh, my gosh, wow, there's someone who cares enough about yeah. me to be disappointed. He wanted that, like, parental, like, yes. bickering. Yeah. But I don't think it was perfectly fair. I mean, Jude doesn't have to explain himself to other people, and he did need money. And then Harold was like, I'll give you money. I'll give you money. He but didn't like, want that. No, and I, I could see how that could feel a little bit savory. I don't think Harold meant that. But it's kind of like, I'll save you. I'll give you the money. Yeah. And I'll buy you this place. Like, you didn't want that. Carol does realize later and says, I shouldn't have belittled yes. his career, which Definitely. is good. I really like that. Okay, so JB is on meth. JB, cool. Uh, casual. He's, He's 30, 39. And on meth. And then his mom and his aunt have an intervention with him, but he does not take them seriously. The guys all show up at his door. It's really beautiful how all of them come together. They're to- 40. Yeah. And they came to his place. They're getting <sighs> him up. They're trying to take him to rehab and this is truly also one of the it's a hard most scene. awful parts of this book jb so, says like he envies his friend's tragic upbringing i'm like my guy you no. had family that loved you and supported you how dare you as if somehow like i do think that you can turn pain into art but like you envy jude's upbringing you mm. envy william's upbringing. he's like they have more to draw from as artists oh Bitch. that's so you're that's just fucking gross yeah it's Find gross. something else to draw from and, and then, then jb gets caught up with jackson who's oof. also doing the meth oh god so I, I hate this was, part i hate this part too but the important thing one of the important things here JB was really afraid of Jackson when he tried to detox. And later, Jude felt that way about Caleb. Like, there's this person in your life that you just can't get away from. And I think that's where Jude had a little bit more empathy for JB for what he did. All right, so we get to one of the worst parts of this entire book. When the boys show up and they start to take JB to rehab... JB realizes, I can't go, I can't go. And I think part of that is because he didn't want to see Jackson. He associated leaving the apartment with seeing Jackson. And he fucking reams Jude and Mm. essentially starts mocking him and does a really horrible impression of him. I, I don't even really know how to describe it. In the book, it says that, like, his mouth is hanging open and he's dragging his leg and he's making weird sounds, Mm. like, mocking Jude, essentially saying, like, this is what you fucking look like to other people. And The meanest thing you could possibly say. The meanest thing. And that was Jude's fear forever. That other people wouldn't see him as a whole person. Especially his best friends. his best friends. And he's like, oh, my best friends think this about me. And... JB ends up going, well, first of all, William punches in the face. (laughs) Yes, William. Pop off, my friend. Pop off, William. And Jude sits there with him in the hospital, which I thought was like really, that shows, it shows the kind of friendship they all had with one another. But when JB goes to rehab and months later sits down and talks to Jude, he says, I just have to apologize when I'm sober. I have to say that I'm so, so, so sorry for what I did. And Jude says, I can't forgive you. Aaron, could you forgive a friend for something like this? Like, is there a line where you say, like, you will, I will never come back from this? I, I think this would be it. I think it would I, be I think, too. like, 
if a best friend knows your deepest, darkest insecurity and they use Exploits that against, it you it against you in any way, I don't care if you're messed no. up. Like, you never do that. That is not something you can recover from. Maybe it is in years and years and years, but not for a long not ass for a time. Long time. And I feel like there are levels. This was like the ultimate 10 out of 10. Yeah. You know, like we all can get mad and say things like you bitch or you whatever, but it's like this was <laughs> literally mocking something so painful to Jude. If he had have been like, if someone would have been, what is the worst thing someone can do to you? This is this number is one. It. This is 100% number one. It's, and yeah. I actually was sobbing though when they weren't friends anymore because it, it felt, God, it was such a breakup. I know. And they both missed each other, but- Jude couldn't look at JB without being reminded of the worst fears he had about himself. And I get that. Like, how do you ever go around that person again and feel safe around them and feel like, no, 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 they were just lying. This isn't actually what they thought of me. Like, you said it, so it's probably on your mind to some degree. Yeah, and he basically called him a monster. It's pretty fucked up. It made me really mad. At I was, JB. I was, I was really like heavily deep breathed sobbing at that part when they weren't friends anymore. Yeah, I was, I was unwell. Part four Oops. is the axiom of equality. This so, was a big, big chapter. Yeah, it was very, very long and dense and lovely. So the guys are in their forties now. William is pressuring. Oof. This part was devastating. William kept being like, Jude, do you want to have a relationship? Yeah. Jude, I have a friend for you. Jude, I don't care if you're gay. Do you know if you're gay? And Jude is like, stop talking about this. I don't want to talk about this. He feels so much pressure, especially because they're in their 40s. Why do you think Jude feels this way? Well, we have this quote that I wrote down because I think it's really important. He doesn't, but like, he thinks he's a disgusting monster. He says it over and over. I'm gross. I'm disgusting. No one wants to see my body. No one wants to be with me. And he says, people have been behaving as if a relationship is something that I could have or should want to have. And although I know they mean it in part as a kindness, it feels like a taunt. They could be telling me that I could be a decathlete. And it would be as obtuse and cruel. He doesn't feel like he is someone who gets to have relationships. He feels like he literally says an alien. And he finds it fucked up that all of his friends are like, you can have this too, Jude, when he doesn't feel that way. Mm. Like, there's a big disconnect. Yeah. So Caleb and Jude, when they first met each other, I was so thrilled. I'm like, oh my God, is Jude flirting? Oh my God, is Jude gay? Oh my God. I I was obsessed. Gagged. I was gagged. And then when he, they had their little date, I, I literally wrote in my notebook, oh my God, Jude. And then he comments on his wheelchair. Oh, that was so beyond fucked up. He says, I didn't notice you were in a wheelchair at dinner because you were sitting down. You're a fucking disgusting. And then he, and then Jude's like, okay, well, I, I have to use the wheelchair sometimes. And he says, don't make a habit of it. I thought he was joking. Like for some reason, I, I, I it was so beyond cruel that I was having a hard time taking it seriously yeah. until I realized, no, this man is fully serious. And they like, they have sex. And especially, and it was oh, like God. brutal and Jude did not like it. And all we wanted, all we wanted for Jude was to find someone who loved him. Yeah, and when you've had a history of sexual trauma, you have to be with someone who is able to respect that and understand that and not force you and not pressure you. And the thing that really, really stood out to me is he has sex with Caleb and he says it feels just as awful as it did. Why are my friends going around saying that sex is like the best thing ever? Why do all of my friends want this? Like, it feels awful to me. I don't like it. 
but I must be the abnormal one. And like, I've felt like that before Mm. where I'm like, why is everyone going on about sex being like the most amazing thing ever? But when you've had sexual trauma, of course you feel that way. Yeah. Cause everything's And then he starts, he like, and he pushes himself to be with Caleb. And it just, I didn't think that Jude's life could get any worse. I didn't either. And this was like, the bad icing on the fucking shit cake. Caleb starts abusing Jude. Yes. He, like, pushes him and then apologizes. We get into the honeymoon phase again. And Jude sticks around. And they go to his, what, beach house in, like, Bridgehampton. Oh, God. And he basically is like, do not use your wheelchair. You will walk. <sighs> and, like, mocks him sadistically and says, bring your plate over to me. And Jude knows. He's like, I can't walk. And... He tries to walk, he falls, and Caleb beats the shit out of him, like rapes him. And then blames it on Jude. He's like, yeah. the reason I did that is because something is wrong with you and you shouldn't be using a wheelchair uh, and you are disabled. It is like literally just that was one of the hardest things. And he did leave Caleb at that time, which I was like, thank you, Jude. Oh yeah. my gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't bear witness to him staying with Caleb any longer, even though we know that he literally said in the book, that's all that I can get. He's like, well, maybe this is what I And deserve. he tells Andy that he was hit in tennis. He tells Harold. He tells everyone. He, him. I know. they. There's no way there's they no actually way believed him. So this then, is when I was like, Harold, go. Harold oh. sees Caleb show up drunk at the restaurant when he's Oof. at dinner with Jude. Puts two and two together. And oh my God. He literally Harold looks at him. And he says, wait, it hasn't been table tennis. You're afraid of this guy. Uh-huh. This guy hurt you. Uh-huh. Like what a parental intuition. I feel like you just have to know your kid well enough without your kid even saying it to be like, someone has hurt you. And then Jude says to Harold, well, when you look like I do, you have to take what you can get. And Harold swerves <gasps> the car. Said, he said, <laughs> he said, you are the most beautiful person I've ever met. Ever. Harold. I was screaming. I was, I was screaming too. I was gasping. He loves him so much. Like, so, 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 so much. But what also bothered me is Jude wouldn't let Harold, like, be a fucking father. Yeah. He was like, I'm going to beat your fucking ass. I'm going to get you arrested. He wasn't used to that. And he was like, no, no. And then gets so mad at Harold and says, I told you not to. Yeah. And I'm like, no, let him beat his ass. Yeah, but Caleb- I'm sorry. If that's my kid, you're getting whomped on right there in public. Well, he should have beat I his ass. I don't care if you say not to. If I find out that somebody be abusing my child, I'm flipping their Bye. fucking table and I'm beating them because to the fucking floor. Because then shortly after, Caleb throws, throws shows up at his house. Stairs. Shows up at his fucking house. So Had a key. This took was an like extra such key. a sequence of events. Harold says, please let me stay with you. He says, no. He, he probably goes felt home so bad. And Caleb is at the fucking house. Caleb's there. Drunk. Drunk. Brutally abuses him. Makes him repeat over and over <laughs> again. I'm disgusting. I'm disabled. I'm a monster. I'm disgusting. Makes him get naked in the rain. Makes him get naked. Pushes him outside. And that's his biggest fear. Is being naked and seeing his scars. And he totally exploits that and said, you are disgusting. You're ugly. And then, as if, like, there's blood everywhere. He's puking. Like, it is one of, like you said, that was one of the most difficult passages to read. It book. was the most excruciating few pages I've ever read in my life. And then he opens the door to the stairs. He he puts Jude at the top. Did you know that he was going to push Jude at that point? I was so nauseous the whole time. I I I I had given up hope that anything good would happen. He's gets pushed down the stairs. I think in his wheelchair. No, yep, in his wheelchair. He gets fully kicked down the stairs. I didn't think he was going to survive. I didn't either. I thought that was going to be the death of him. The author is just brilliant. While he's midair, this is when 
he starts thinking about the axiom of equality. Oh, yeah. And explain that. So he says X equals X. I just loved all these axioms, by the way. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it. I just learned a lot reading this. So basically, X is always X. And he says, the person I was will always be the person that I am. I inspire disgust. I am a person meant to be hated. Like, who he was as a child when he was abused is who he always will be. And in that moment, Caleb confirmed that to him. And I kind of think that that's why he stayed with Caleb. It's like, you're Mm -hmm. confirming everything that I believed about myself. So it's like staying where you're comfortable, even if it's not good. Yeah. And it's like, thanks for proving to me that I'm bad. Like you just proved that to me. Cause that's My what he's been telling dude. himself the whole, his whole life. And it's hard not to feel that way when he's gone through what he's gone through. Yeah. But that's kind of like so significant, significant to the whole book is like, I will always be this way. And like, there's no possibility for change. And so then they wake up in the fucking hospital. Is this where Andy explains why he's never had him committed? Oh, I think so. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. So all Andy okay. explains why he's never had Jude committed. He says, I've tortured myself about this. I've always felt you're so high functioning in so many ways. And you've achieved this weird but undeniably successful equilibrium in your life that I felt. I don't know. I just shouldn't upset it, you know. So I've let you go on cutting yourself year after year and every year. Every time I see you, I wonder if I'm doing the right thing by letting you do so and how and if I should be pushing harder to get you help to make you stop doing this to yourself. (sighs) It's so hard. It's hard. But no, at that point, I'm like, all of y'all are letting this go on too long. I'm sorry. The actual kind thing to do when you care about someone is to say enough is fucking enough because Jude was never going to do that for himself. Yeah. You enabled and you, it's not their fault. It's like both him and William blamed each other. And it's like, it's not your fault that he's doing this, but you are now a bystander to what is happening. Decades later. Yeah. Yeah. D- literally 30 fucking years. It's not later. like you've been pondering this for a no, second. I'm yeah. sorry, but that was like, shame on you, Andy. Like yeah. at some point you needed to buck up. If and you- you're a doctor. Right. You're a doctor and you care about Jude. Buck the fuck up and yeah. like get him help. And and if they had have gotten him help, maybe he wouldn't have had his what's coming up, his suicide attempt. Well, right. And it reminds me, like I was telling you, I saw this TikTok and I'm not saying this is the right thing to do as a parent, but this girl said the best thing that ever happened to me when I was using like meth and a ton of other drugs for years was my dad kicking me out of the house and saying, get fucking clean or get the fuck out. Mm. And she got clean. And I'm not saying that's the right way to parent, but I think at some point a parent has to say like, or a close friend or whatever, like, am I enabling at this point? I'm just yeah. letting you do this thing. Because they don't want to upset them, even though the right thing would be upsetting them yeah, in that no, moment. It, it, this was just, I, I got to the point where I was like, no, we've seen this story 80 times. Like, yeah. someone's got to do something. It was too repetitive. No, and, it was. And then we found out Jude was abused in sex oh. traffic by brother Luke, and he was kidnapped. He was getting STDs, Allegra. That made me sick. And you know what? I figured that out. There were just... The author was so brilliant in foreshadowing, dropping clues, but he said so early on in the book. She, sorry. I have diseases. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, I didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah, no, no, no. I knew instantly that it was sexual assault. Wow. He was forced to, which also, I want, I was curious what you thought about this. We get at one point a foreshadowing of... He's talking about how he never, this is horrible. When he thinks about someone desiring having sex with him, he he says, my client in Texas was like a morbidly obese man and he had like thick nails and he like kept saying sorry when I was giving him a blowjob. I was like, what? I thought he meant his law client. Same. I was like, 
go off. Yeah, dude. I was like, go off, gay king. Literally, I was like, yeah, fucking dick at the law. Yeah, that is not what it was. No, and then we find out that he was fucking sex trafficked. Yeah, this is one of the most disturbing. So like, disturbing. Kidnaps him, cuts his hair off, and he had to dissociate. And I wrote down because I've been wanting to ask you this for so long. I wrote Ask Allegra. That should be yeah. like the name of your Ask Allegra. Is Wait, that like it a is. thing? That's my workshop name. Oh my god! Ask Allegra once a month. I oh. do. I would do workshops. I'm brilliant. I should do yes, marketing. Honey, for you. You're my you're my brand manager now. So he said he had he was raped over 200, 300 times. How does I'm a like, child survive like, this? Literally didn't sleep last night because I, I read this right before bed and Oof. it made me fucking so sick to my stomach. You dissociate. Like dissociation is known as the escape where there is no escape, and for a kid like that, there is no escape. What does that mean exactly for people so, who like, don't know? So, like, you essentially leave your body. Like dissociation is when you are disconnected almost from like your body and the world around you. A lot of people will say, like, during a sexual assault, that they can like that they're above their body yeah. and they can look down and like see it happening. Like you completely disconnect. Because what you're going through is so painful. It's your body's way of, like, protecting. Yeah, it's your body's way of trying Mm -hmm. to protect you. And that was all that he could do. And that was something he used. Like, he, I mean, he dissociated for a good bit of his life. But, I mean, I don't know how Jude survived what he did. I think that most, I mean, like, I I just, I, I, my heart, I can't even, I just, I, like, in the motel, I just, it's so gross. It's so vile. It's one of the like i was like how could this get worse and it did and it just kept getting worse and like i was also thinking like first of all all of these men are fucking disgusting pedophiles does someone not know that this is happening in the motel like yeah. obviously someone does because brother luke his name wasn't even luke so disgusting God. ends up getting but like do none of these like how sick are people that nobody is like this poor boy is being sex trafficked in a motel room and then also like brother luke Whatever. I, I don't even want to talk about him, but him acting like he's the good guy out of all and of And that's it. literally grooming to a fucking T. I love you. Like, I'll take care I'll of you. I'll protect you. I'll watch out for yes, you. Yes, that's how you fucking groom a child. He started, Jude started catching on, but there was nothing that he could do. It all led up to the suicide attempt. We see this all happens like we learn about the monastery and Brother Luke and the kidnapping after the Caleb situation and Caleb... What happened with Caleb, all of that trauma unleashed so many traumatic memories for him. And he kept calling it like a gremlin or something. Yeah, like beasts that were being awakened. He was living with PTSD. Mm -hmm. He had severe PTSD. He couldn't even sleep without being reminded of the trauma that he spent his whole life pushing pushing under. And he got so fucking, he was so tormented that he decided, I'm going to kill myself. Like, this is the only way for me to escape this demon. Is that common with people who decide to end their life by suicide? It They feel like they, that's the only escape? Yeah. I mean, I'll ask you if you've ever felt like that, if you feel comfortable sharing. But like with OCD, and a lot of the times it's like you don't even want to end your life. You want that part of your life to die. Mm. I wanted OCD to be gone so bad that I would contemplate suicide because it felt like the only way to get out. I think that that was that for Jude. He's like, I'm having these, like these intrusive memories and these voices. I need to shut them the fuck down. And the only way to do that is to kill myself. Mm. And then he felt so much relief when he decided that, like, were you (sighs) sad? Like, what did you think in that moment when he was so relieved? It made me inexplicably sad for him because I know that feeling of being that, upset and it feels like that could be the only 
thing that could alleviate that pain. And then he wakes up (laughs) and he's like, shit. And it's like surviving a suicide attempt has to just be so awful because not only are you upset that you've survived and I want to validate that for people, but then you have to deal with the shame that you feel of other people knowing Mm. that you've had a suicide And no one trusting you with anything. Yeah. The shame that you like feel and it's like you're already at your most hopeless place and then this doesn't work. Like how can it get more hopeless there? Yeah. And and they won't even let you go to the bathroom by yourself. No No. one trusts you with anything. And it's like for good reason with Jude. I also loved that scene where Harold took every single sharp object from the kitchen and he sat up at night with all the objects in a bowl. Like daddy, Papa, Harold, we fucking love you. We stand you. And I also just love that there wasn't, even when he had a suicide attempt, none of his friends stigmatized him in that way. Mm -hmm. And I also really appreciated that there was so much openness to Jude's pain and struggles. Whereas I think that other people could have been like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, get your shit together. Yeah. They were all so understanding. Was it intentional for the author to have Jude's suicide? And then right after that, we see Brother Luke's suicide. Oh, I didn't even. I know. I didn't realize it either until recently. Wait, that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. Because Luke didn't make it, but Jude did. Yeah, Luke deserved to fucking die and yeah. rot in fucking hell. Uh, Jude did survive. I'm glad that he did. But also, I feel like it's selfish for me to say that I'm glad that he did. Like, I'm not one of those people who say, like, suicide is selfish. Like, I do think it deeply impacts other people. But do you want to live Jude's life? Like, It's, if your you, per- it's a person's choice. Well, right. Like, if I'm asking you seriously, yeah. like, would you want to live as Jude? No. I wouldn't no. either, to be frank. I just fucking wouldn't. The only reason I'm glad he survived. Harold. Harold and also the next chapter is called The Happy Years. Okay, don't tell me what happened. I'm not saying anything, it. but I'm assuming from the title. That something good happens. Some, hopefully it's going to be happy, Allegra. Like, we need this. I, we need this. Jude needs a fucking break. But Give I this don't, man a break. I don't blame him. I just, I don't blame him. And I want Jude to get help. I hope in that we're going to do the second half in the next episode. I hope that... I hope that we see Jude start to heal. I know. I do, too. It's Because we both haven't finished the book, so we literally don't know what's going to happen. I want him to heal, but also, like, I just want to validate, too, how fucked up it is that he has to heal from all of this trauma that yeah. was inflicted on him. Yeah. Like, it's so easy for people to be like, why are you self-destructing? Mm. Well, guess what? I was subjected to all of this fucking shit, yeah. so give me a fucking break. He's doing his best. Jude really was doing his best. So that was our halfway check-in point. We love you, sad girls. Peace out. Bye, sad girls. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and subscribe and follow our show. It's the way that we can get the word out about our sad girl podcast and more sad girls can find their community. And if you'd like to follow us on other platforms, we're on Instagram at sad girls who read and TikTok at sad girls good books. We love you, sad girls.